Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Welcome to the last Bose Nose Show of 2019, um, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and it's another beautiful day here in Oregon, but we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and uh, you know, this is a show where we're going to talk about a lot of stuff because we had basically you know, a day and a half of board meetings, so that, that covers a lot of ground. And, uh, but, you know, there's been a lot going on. There's, you know, some few things happening in Washington, D.C. You know, magazines are naming people of the year. Um, so if there's something else you want to talk about that's not on my list, give us a call here on the Bose No Show because this is about, you know, giving you an opportunity to participate, to communicate about Lane County government or anything else that's on your mind. 646 721 9887. Just press one so we know you want to get on the conversation. You're not just calling to listen because you're walking away from your computer. Um, again, 646-721-9887. Just press one. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get on the conversation. So speaking of being able to give input and, and provide some input, there are two opportunities available right now to Lane County residents I want to make sure you're aware of. And I've linked both of these opportunities on both my um, Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page and on the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page where you can watch us on Facebook Live right now or go back and rewatch us uh, a previous editions of the Bose News Show on the Facebook page. But um, we are looking for folks that are willing to volunteer some of their time to serve on a committee to look at possible sources of revenue for our park system because we have got this huge um, backlog of deferred maintenance in our park system. And if we're ever going to develop our park system like it should be, there's new capital projects that also have to be done, not just maintaining what we have, but there's some construction work we ought to be doing, some development work. And, um, you know, we were, we basically cut the parks budget out of the general fund um, 
you know, after the end of the Secure World Schools Act funding dropped off the face of the earth, and we had to make all those budget cuts back in 2011. Um, so that really the only thing funding parks right now are some of the user fees, and you know, that's basically your um, parks passes and parking fee, daily parking fees, overnight camping fees at campgrounds, uh, group reservation fees, those sort of things. Um, this is about a third of their budget. Um, we put the car rental tax from the state, um, the Lane County portion of that, into our park system. And then there's um, a state assistance that comes through the RV taxes uh, on your RVs that goes into the park system. So really no local county taxes necessarily go into, um, into our parks. Uh, it, other than the user fee portion of it. So they're looking at, you know, how can we make sure we have the revenue to do all this, you know, catch up on some of this deferred maintenance and maybe execute some of the things that are thought about in the parks master plan, which we ask people to provide input on. So we've got this master plan of what people want us to do. We just don't have the funding to execute it. And, you know, it'd be good to get, some folks on that that aren't just park advocates, you know, some folks that, you know, maybe might be um, not so inclined to look at property tax as a way to fund this or, or some other things and, and maybe be a little bit on the uh, naysayer side um, to kind of, you know, proof whatever they, they come up with uh, as far as funding goes. So, uh, that's an opportunity that's out there for seeking members, uh, and there's a link on both the uh, uh, Westland County uh, Commissioner Facebook page and the KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page to get to that, where you can apply for that committee. The other thing we're looking for some input from is we've got a survey out right now on our Justice Center, and uh, sort of looking for some input from folks. There's questions about, you know, what justice means to in our community for you and, um, you know, uh, some gives you an opportunity to prioritize some things about what you'd want in a justice center, even ha has a question about, you know, do you think it's, you know, important to um, build a new justice center that would have operational cost savings or should we just, you know, buck up and pay that extra cost of keeping the old uh, courthouse um, and find a way to pay those the, the, for that um, lack of operational efficiency that's built into a courthouse that's too small and 60 years old. Um, but there's, you know, a bunch of questions in there. We really want to hear from a broad spectrum of people. So uh, that also is linked on both those pages. Um, I posted them up uh, about a day or two days ago on both um, my Facebook, my Westland County Commissioner Facebook page and the KRBN Internet News Talk radio page. I even put the Justice Center one up on the uh, Lane County Mugshots Uncensored page because I figured that was a page that had a really wide following and folks that were interested in the uh, public safety criminal justice system here in Lane County and might just have an opinion about courthouses. So, uh, you can also find it there, um, and I, I put the uh, parks um, 
issue up on a couple other pages too. So um, it's it's out there. And, and if nothing else, you can also go to the Lane County Government Facebook page, and both the links are there on the Lane County Government Facebook page because that's where I shared them from. So a um, couple of opportunities for folks to provide input to Lane County and, um, you know, not only just calling in to us at 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press one so we know you want to talk on the show. So we had some really busy days at, at, at the commissioners' meetings, and um, there was a lot to talk about. Um, and I think I'm trying to figure out which which topic to start with, because there's so much to go into. And uh, I think I'm going to start out with probably the easy one and the one that, that – um, folks uh, probably can feel good about. And that's, you know, we got a report back on Lane County Fair and uh, this last summer. And, you know, the easiest thing is to read the summary. The 2019 fair was another success. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! All done. Now, it's, it's pretty impressive what, you know, we've been able to do with the county fair and trying to make sure it's not a drain on, on county resources. It's self-supporting. Um, we've also made it very uh, family-friendly over the years, added a lot of midway attractions so people um, can entertain their kids without having to spend a lot of money once you, once you get your entry into the fair. We've also done things with advanced sales uh, on everything from uh, – uh, ride uh, passes and stuff like that at discounts, um, group sale discounts. So it, we've made the fair family friendly and affordable for a lot of people. Uh, but at the same, so uh, we've also you know tried really hard to, to get make good picks with the entertainment. And overall, um, we're seeing a pretty much of an uptick on. Uh, oh, and here are the poodles. <laughs> Uptick on attendance overall. And last fair, um, the single day ticket sale type attendance was tracking at about 50,000 up from 48,000 the year before. And the overall attendance, and this includes everything from folks that are there volunteering at booths um, and, and working booths, paid work booths, and stuff like that, to folks that. Um, come it counts you know, if you came two days you would get counted as two people but um, that's 112,700 this last fair the previous year was 108,000 so we're, we're ticking up with that so overall that's a good thing and um, they may they intentionally um, set the budget for this year's fair to only have about a $60,000 net profit um, and they ended up making about 120000 So they overshot their profit. And they had been making much more, but they purposely took some of the money this year and invested it in some things like some additional shade tents uh, out on the, um, the Midway area. So there's more places for respite um, for uh, families and all that out there from the heat during the day. And, of course, from the rain, if we got caught with rain. Um, but 
overall, it was, you know, one of those good news sort of things for the county commissioners to sit through um, and, you know, talk a little bit about how they're going to try and make some improvements for next year um, as they do, um, you know, more to try and make the fair even better, bigger, um, you know, and more fun, you know, so it was a very successful event. I don't know if anyone got down to it, but uh, I got there for a day on senior day because I always like going to the senior ice cream social, which the board of commissioners helped sponsor and, uh, you know, welcoming the seniors there. Uh, always a lot of fun on senior day to see all the folks around, you know, remembering back in the day, <laughs> county fairs, you know, <laughs> so um, good report on the county fair which leads to probably the next item, which um, I kind of got to be the, the naysayer of the board. There's a proposal out there to host uh, three Conestoga huts in one corner of the fairgrounds up there uh, close to 13th Avenue on the west end of the fair um, in a lot that we use um, during the fair, actually, to put RVs for um, the folks that are um, exhibiting animals and all that. And we rent it out sort of the campsite there. So it's not that it hasn't been used for camping, but it's been used traditionally during large uh, events at the fair as overflow parking and, and uh, other things. And the proposal is to put these three Conestoga huts there and a three-sided metal building for cooking and, um, and some storage and, um, Supposedly, these are all going to be on pallets so they can be moved out the week before the fair and be gone during the fair and then not moved back until after the fair gets you know, moved out. So basically, they would have to be picked up and moved you know, somewhere else for uh, about two and a half, three weeks during the year. So it sounds like kind of a pretty um, small impact sort of use. And and the, the nonprofit that would be working this has, has good experience. Their other sites they use have almost, you know, virtually no uh, law enforcement response out to those sites and, and very little complaints from neighbors. But there are neighbors of this, the fairgrounds that have written to the board objecting to us doing this because apparently if we were to cite this set of Conestoga huts in that corner, that would be the fifth homeless-style temporary camping um, area within a half-mile radius for that neighborhood, and, and the neighbors are little, you know, are rightfully concerned about concentrating these kind of services in their neighborhood. Um, so I, I have respect for some of those neighbors. That was Louis, by the way, uh, and. My other concern is we have experienced in Lane County problems with being able to move these style camps. I don't know if everyone remembers when we used to host a camp over on our property across from Hudson Stadium for about six months of the year that was um, run by Nightingale um, uh, Services um, that uh, basically um, was one of these, um, you know, kind of camps where they had pallets out there and people set up tents on the pallets. Not 
not Conestoga huts, and it was a little bit bigger. It was about 20 sites. Um, and uh, when it got time the first year for them to close down, because the place we had them set up was a place that we leased to the Boy Scouts to rent for overflow parking and, and um, game day events for the football season. So there was a definitive got to be done and out of there because we actually have this long-term agreement to rent that space um, to somebody else. And we actually did this um, this camp uh, through a contract with the city of Eugene. City of Eugene was actually the people on the lease, and, and Nightingale was providing the, the camp services. Um, and the first year, when it's getting close to football season, the city of Eugene and Nightingale were basically like trying to make us responsible for finding a, another location for the camp. And that wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> Part of the deal was we'd make our space available for these six months, and they would leave after six months. We weren't supposed to be responsible for relocating them. That was the city of Eugene's responsibility and Nightingale's. Uh, and it it got down to the last second before we finally got them. I mean, they moved out over a month late, and, and we were getting really concerned about it. And so for the following year, we rewrote the contracts to make sure it was absolutely positively clear this was the date they're supposed to move out and there was no Lane County responsibility involved in, in, in getting them to move out, et cetera. Um, and sure enough, we get to the end of that, that six month term. And once again, they weren't moving. And in fact, at, at some point it was, you know, kind of a Mexican standoff, like, uh, well, we're, we're not going to have EPD come out. And, and evict these people for you, Lane County. Um, so you guys can send the Lane County sheriffs out. And, and if Nightingale chooses to have the local TV stations there when you're doing this, that's going to be your, 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 you know, headache. Uh, <laughs> so my experience in the past with these quote temporary campsites is when you want to move them for you know, reasons, which like the, when the fair come, is coming up, I'm a little concerned we're going to have the same problem. We're going to be told that they have no place to put the people that are in those huts, and it's going to be our problem to try and find some place to temporarily house them. Um, and they're going to go to the press and try and make us look like the bad guys for moving them for the fair. So I was kind of like, whoa, 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 why don't we uh, slow this down a little bit at the same time, one of the things that's going on in the background is we are doing some master planning work and business planning for the Lane Events Center, trying to decide whether this corner of our property could be put to better use in other ways. So there may be a more permanent long-term use of that corner of the property, which once again will set us up in a conflict with, oh, now we've established this homeless camp and we are going to be Scrooge for wanting to relocate them because we've got this higher and better use as part of the Lane Events Center, which by the way, generates millions of dollars in economic activity in in Lane County and a lot of jobs. You know, 
come out of that event center. I mean, anyone that's been there for any of the home shows or for the RV show or the logging conference, not just the county fair happens there. Um, all sorts of events happen there. And, um, you know, my caution was tread carefully because there's nothing so permanent as a temporary homeless camp. Um, and um, I was the only board member kind of making that point. Um, so be interesting to see where we go, but I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about doing anything with the fairgrounds slash event center that isn't related to the long-term event center because, you know, we purchased those fairgrounds and maintain them and have built the buildings with user fee money from those events, you know, money that they've generated, like from the county fair and also transient wound tax from the lodging industry, which is meant to generate more hotel usage. So carving out a piece of that property for something that isn't either helping out with the actual events there or generating some kind of um, uh, hotel stays through the folks that are coming there to, to display and, and, and attend events, um, you know, kind of is going against how we've actually purchased and set up that site. So um, as, as much as I've talked about our need to provide housing in any shape, way, or form, sometimes it might be in, in conflict with some, some other good work we're doing. Um, so we have to be at least be careful. And it seems to me that we could, the board could wait until we have the results of that business master planning effort that's ongoing right now and should be complete next spring before they pull the trigger on any sort of alternate use of the fairground sites and the event center site. So that was something that came before the board on Tuesday. Uh, today was the day we heard about the actual fair report. So it's kind of um, interesting because we, we heard about the Conestoga hut proposal without actually the fair board being there. So we had the fair board there today and I, and, uh, you know, I hope, uh, I hope they were appreciative that at least I was the only, <laughs> only Lane County board member uh, that was uh, concerned about alternate uses of the fairgrounds that might actually interfere with um, the future um, of the Lane County Fair and the event center being successful. Um, so beyond that, there was all sorts of other things we got into at, at the uh, commissioner's meeting. Uh, but, you know, I want to pause as we're changing topics and remind folks that we'll talk about anything you want to talk about on this show, not just what was on my list of topics from this last week of, of commissioner's meetings. Just give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets us know you want to get in on the Bo's Nose Show here. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets me rob in my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get in on the show and talk to me, your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. Here on the Bo's Nose Show, 
which comes to you every Wednesday at 4 o'clock, except the next three Wednesdays, which, as I explained in my promo, um, just happened to fall on Christmas, New Year's Day, and my birthday, not necessarily in that order. Uh, I'm taking next Wednesday kind of at least partially off. I do have a Homes for Good board meeting that day. But on Monday, I have to be in Portland at 8 in the morning until about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And I'm going to drive up that morning and drive back that night. The next day, we start our board meeting at 9 o'clock. And we, are going, we have such a large agenda that we've already been warned we're going to run into the lunch hour with our morning session. We've got a full afternoon. And then we've got an evening listening session for public comment that who knows, the last couple have ended between 7.30 and 8 o'clock at night. So I have got two very long days on Monday and Tuesday of next week. So Wednesday, I am going to um, do the Homes for Good board meeting and attend to things like all the email I'm going to get behind on in those two days and uh, then knock off sometime and uh, celebrate my birthday with my wife. Probably going to go pick up some sushi from Sushi Domo and come back to the house and uh, have sushi. And maybe I might have some an adult beverage like a single malt scotch and uh, kick back and relax for my birthday. So no Bose no show next week. And of course, I'm not going to be broadcasting on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. So it's going to be the new year, 2020, when you hear from the Bose no show next. So just... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll promo that later, um, but uh, we are going to go dark for the rest of 2019. So this is the last Bo's No Show of the year. So it's your last opportunity to call us at 646-721-9887 and get in on the conversation by pressing one. So shifting gears uh, with what we talked about at Lane County, and it gets – you know, the afternoon, um, we got a report back from staff uh, back in August when I was in Germany. Uh, the board chose to authorize staff to bring in a, a um, consultant and spend $60,000 looking at what we should do to, um, as far as a climate action plan, which basically resulted in another proposal from the consultant to hire them to do further work. Um, so that $60,000 seems well spent. They're also talking about adding um, a portion of an FTE in solid waste that will work on these climate action issues. So if your um, trash bill is going up, it's paying for climate change work. Um, I don't know how those two are related because uh, that's where solid waste gets their funding is from your trash bills. Um, but, uh, you know, the board, I realize I am in the minority of the board about working on this issue. Um, and I basically um, spent some time at the very beginning of the item because I wasn't here in August to one, clarify some misinformation that's been placed out there in public. Because um, if you have any questions about climate change, you immediately get labeled as a denier and anti-science, et cetera. Um, and you, ha yes, how dare me? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, speaking of people's uh, or Time Magazine's person of the year. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, um, their persons of the year has gone downhill. And if you ask me, in the at last 15 years or so. Excuse me while I do my Blake Shelton imitation there uh, and wet my whistle. But um, I wanted to spend a minute maybe to go over what I said yesterday in the board meeting because it's kind of important because I want people to understand why I have the position I have. You know, and I want to clarify three things right up front. Yes, I believe the climate is changing. So don't put me in the, in the, in the complete denier phase. Yes, I also agree that it's trending warmer, particularly in the short term since the 70s and in the long term since the end of the little ice age. Yes, there is a human cause to part of that warming that there is a human impact. So get this out of the way. I'm not denying that the climate's changing. I'm not denying that it's getting actually warmer, and I'm not denying that humans have some responsibility for that increase in temperature. What I question, and this is where people start going off the rails and accusing me of being a denier and all that stuff, and I question it based on science, let me remind folks, I have a bachelor's in science, and I have spent significant amount of my own private time researching this, this issue and understanding it, and I've done it since decades. It's, I've, I've looked at it. Meteorology has always been a hobby of mine. I wanted to be a, a, a weather guy when I was a kid at one point, um, so I've always paid a lot of attention to weather and climate. Um, things that don't get looked at enough as being part of this and are human causes to some of this warming beyond CO2, we'll get to CO2 in a minute, are population growth, land use changes from human activity, the increase in irrigated agriculture the decrease in particulate pollution that's happened since the 60s. Now, if folks might remember sometime about 1970 or so, early 70s, there was something called the Clean Air Act. <laughs> and a lot of the world has truly changed their um, particulate pollution. You know, I, folks might, if you watch The Crown, remember the episodes around the fog in, in London in the 50s? People died from pollution, particulate pollution. You know, um, particulate pollution is a negative feedback to global warming because it reflects the sun back out into space and it doesn't allow it down to the surface to actually warm and re-radiate, but then get captured supposedly by greenhouse gases uh, from going back out into space again. Um, so that uh, clearing of our atmosphere is actually part of what's driving some of the warming, which never gets recognized in some of the 
some of the models or discussions around why we're seeing increases in temperatures uh, over the last several decades. So just some of these factors are some of the things that folks don't talk about um, so much, and they kind of overplay CO2. I mean, CO2, yes, it's a greenhouse gas. Yes, it stays in the atmosphere longer than other greenhouse gases um, like uh, water vapor. But it's one of the least efficient greenhouse gases because it has a low absorption, a very narrow band of absorption spectrum. It's also such a minute part of the atmosphere compared to water vapor, which is a very efficient greenhouse gas and is a much larger constituent in our atmosphere. And I bring up the issue about irrigated agriculture because no one talks about as populations grown and we've had to expand irrigated agriculture to feed our world population, what changes has that made in the relative humidity of some areas of the world? You know, and humidity is one of the best greenhouse gases. So it's kind of one of these things like, you know, who's modeling that? You know, and, and, and along with that, once you start getting warming, there's more evaporative uh, evaporation off the bodies of water as air temperature goes up. Um, so you get even more. So that it, it, you know, there's, you know, some of these positive feedback loops. That has not been well modeled um, in some of these things. In fact, very few models can go back to the 70s and come out with today's temperatures. None of the models can go back to the beginning of the century and go through the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s and come out with the right temperature because there were so many other things driving like the 1930s warm, warm periods and the Dust Bowl and all that. Um, so that, you know, it, it's a very technical issue and trying to argue the science, um, just gets you into, um, all sorts of things. Um, but I, I, I explained to folks, I'm the only person on our board that has a degree in science. I'm the only person on the board that has chosen not to have children. And I am the only person on the board that has spent my career as an engineer protecting the environment. You know, one of the things, you know, as an engineer I've done, you know, I, I help pilot and promote some of the stormwater quality stuff you see daily. You know, all these things like rain gardens and all that stuff. Those didn't exist at the beginning of my engineering career we kind of invented a lot of that sort of work in Maryland when we were trying to protect the Chesapeake Bay and have the Chesapeake Bay recover long before they were trying to recover salmon here. Um, so uh, don't lecture me about, I'm not, you know, I'm anti-environment. Okay. <laughs> that all said, I realized I am the minority opinion on our board and we are going to go in some direction of drafting a climate action plan. So while I may vote no at times on climate stuff because I think we're going too far with something, 
because like I said in the board meeting, I chose not to have kids, but I would never, ever pass a law that insisted other people not have kids or limit the amount of children they have. Just as I might choose to use reusable grocery bags, I would never pass a law that says you can't have a one-time use grocery bag. I might try and educate people about those things, but I won't pass a law. Yeah. So it's kind of this libertarian side of me. Um, so one of the things I told the board was you hear all the time from the environmental community about the precautionary principle. And, and you know, first do no harm. Please, as you're looking at climate action plan and all that stuff, first do no harm. Don't put together a climate action plan that, that, that causes problems with, you know, cost of housing, cost of services and goods and food for, you know, some of our poorest and most vulnerable citizens. You know, don't make a trade-off over, you know, this, this issue um, when we only really have control of 100,000 people in Lane County in a state that has one of the lowest carbon footprints in the nation, that's not going to move the needle as far as how much CO2 is actually in the atmosphere worldwide. You know, first, do no harm. The other thing I kind of ask people to do is look at which is more harmful, the mitigation you're proposing against global warming and climate change and this CO2 phantom, or what's the adapt, the adopt, what's it cost to adapt to that change? Mitigation cost versus adaption cost. Yeah. And the other thing I kind of like people to think about is, are these changes going to necessarily be negative? You know, if you look through history, some of the most abundant times of growth in, in both uh, species and also human in course of human history, growth of society and, and, and uh, as far as, you know, per capita increase in, in well-being goes was during warm periods. I mean, the, the, the dark ages was during a cold period. The, the bronze age of, of Roman expansion was during a warm period. You know, our, our current, you know, modern society has been happening during a general warming trend coming out of the little ice age. So, you know, there's, there's just, you know, some really, you know, you could almost track some of the most successful periods in human history with warm periods. So, you know, this, this doom and gloom about we're getting warmer, uh, I kind of wonder about, which gets into some of the science around meteorology and whether or not some of what we're seeing today and weather is, is unprecedented. I, my favorite example is people used to think that Superstorm Sandy was some unprecedented climate-driven event that's caused by warming. 
and they all forget about the March 62 Ash Wednesday storm uh, on the East Coast. All you have to do is Google Ash Wednesday storm and, and you'll find pictures of devastation from Maine to North Carolina of the entire eastern seaboard. Similar flooding, similar wind damage. Um, it was a horrible storm, including uh, a blizzard that, that occurred with it in, in the northern portions. Um, and the 60s were a relatively cold period. <laughs> so what was driving the Ash Wednesday storm? The superstorm standing was because of these, quote, weather extremes. Um, you know, when you think about the West Coast, the Columbus Day storm here in Oregon was in the 60s in a cool period. Um, so I, it, it, weather seems to be what, you know, this goes into, you know, some of these fire incidences and claiming the increase in fire and no one goes back to the 30s and thinking about the Tillamook burn and other fires that happened in the 30s. Um, and, and the history of fires in California is has always been there. You know, so claiming things are happening because of climate change sometimes is, is another thing that just bothers me. But as we move forward with a climate action plan, which basically the board directed um, the staff to come back with some kind of climate resolution that was was going to tie us to action. Um, and they never really did give staff a very clear understanding what that resolution should say. Um, so I'm going to be very interested to see what we end up developing. Um, but it's just that they, they're determined to do something. Um, at the same time, they thought they could use our, our powers as the Board of Health to enforce stuff countywide instead of just on the unincorporated areas. And I kind of asked the board, they might want to go back and read the uh, Oregon revised statutes uh, under chapter 431 about what the powers of a local board of health really are. <laughs> and they don't really say you can do anything you want if you just kind of say it's about health. No, that's not what they say. <laughs> You're not going to get away with enforcing um, carbon limits or whatever it is you think helps a, a climate plan under a board of health authority. Um, you're going to end up costing the county a lot of money in lawsuits if you try to. But, you know, that that's kind of, I just want to kind of get that out there. I mean, if you have your thoughts on climate action, you can always give us a call here at Bo's No Show, 646-721-9887. Did have a couple other things we talked about um, and they mostly had to relate to um, the human capital side of being a county commissioner in that, you know, talking about our employees, our workplace, and um, also the staff that we actually directly hire and fire. Um, and uh, that was part of our board meeting um, yesterday and today. Um, and we talked about um, recruitment and retention of our staff. And it turns out that, our numbers for 2019 are doing even better as far as recruitment goes. Uh, I should say as far as turnover rates go, um, we're doing a pretty good job of recruitment, uh, filling jobs generally within um, 
uh, 60 days and trying to have a 40 day target. Um, so, it, you know, we're not hurting for that side. And in fact, in our medical clinics where people claimed we were having some issues about um, our workforce environment and, and uh, issues there, we have a turnover rate that is far below the national average for medical clinics. The national average is around 20%. We're down around 10% turnover. So, in fact, our overall turnover rate is right, right in that vicinity, which is pretty incredible when the background unemployment rate in this nation is 3.5%, setting all-time records for low unemployment and all-time records for the number of people that are employed, um, you know, and wages are, are increasing and everything else. The fact that Lane County is able to keep their turnover rate so low and if you start taking out retirees, which we can't do a, lot, a whole lot about folks that finally decide to retire as part of that, that's part of that turnover rate. It even goes lower than that 10%. So we're doing really well in our recruitment and retention. And a lot of it has to do with um, some of the internal work we're doing around wellness, uh, around employee engagement, um, uh, work we're doing about leadership training and helping people to, to see um, that they have a path to advancement in Lane County and a, and a long-term future at Lane County, uh, internal training programs, uh, uh, access to external training, um, all those things that, you know, keep employees engaged and, and happy in the workplace. Uh, it's a really important thing. And we even had a little presentation yesterday from uh, Dennis Sandow, who's uh, kind of a, a, a workforce guru sort of person about uh, uh, the social determinants uh, of work. And um, basically it comes down to, you know, living well together kind of generates, uh, you know, employee engagement, which generates a healthier workforce and all that. Um, and one of the, the, the three things that he pointed out that, that generate this are, Employees that feel they have control over their job, that they have social support in their work, and that they're rewarded when they, you know, do something good. And, you know, one of the interesting things is, as I watch the regulatory environment for employers in this state and generally in the nation, we're doing things that actually go against being able to give employees control over their work, provide them social support in the workplace, and reward their work individually. And you go, well, you know, what do you mean by that, Jay? There's a recent court decision here in Oregon that basically went at, you know, basically some employees came after an employer because even though the employer had a very strict policy about you're supposed to take 30 minutes lunch break if you're working more than six hours in a day, because that's what state law says, you have to provide a 30-minute lunch break. And if you do go back to work, you have to clock in and get paid for that time. We don't want you working unpaid. unpaid. Um, and had a, a really well laid out um, policies on that and informed employees of it. At, at in you know initial hiring and everything else, some employees were going back to work early and clocking in, getting paid for it, and then they sued because even though they're getting paid, 
and and the court found that it was incumbent upon the employer to force the employees to take their full 30 minutes. So now the employers are going to, in this state, are going to have to be, you know, police and force employees to, you know, keep them corralled in the lunchroom or whatever so they can't go back to work one minute early. Does that really help in making employees feel like they have control over their jobs? When we talk about social support, look at what's happening with things like the Me Too movement and other issues around just the plethora of harassment complaints and legal actions in the workplace. Does that make it easy for employers to support um, socializing and social support and, and, and that sort of group interaction in the workplace? Then when you talk about the reward issue, how easy is it for um, an employer that has a unionized workforce to reward individual employees that are on union pay scales? How easy is it to reward now employees that are different genders but have the same job description under the new Pay Equity Act here in Oregon. Oregon. So we keep going in a direction regulatory that actually prevents our ability to promote the things that make employees feel good and actually make them healthier. There's clear studies, you know, that Dennis brought up that show if you provide this, you know, control, you know, job control, social support, and reward for for performance, employees will actually be healthier because they'll be less stressed and feel engaged in everything. That in the rest of their life, they'll be healthier and use less health services. Yet it seems like everything we're doing legislatively, judicially, and administratively from the state of Oregon is pushing us in the direction of not being able to fulfill those social determinants of work that are really just about promoting living well together. I mean, it's the same things you'd want um, with your neighbors and stuff like that. We'd all want to feel in control of our own property, but have support of our neighbors, you know, if we need a little help. And we all want to be rewarded when we do something good and recognized for that. You know, it's just about living well together. So kind of an interesting juxtaposition about getting a really good report back on our, our recruitment and retention um, work and, um, you know, and then having this, you know, kind of uh, report from uh, Mr. Sandow. But then that gets into the fact that we have the board has basically three employees, one of which is not filled right now. We're kind of trying to decide whether we actually need a performance auditor or not, or whether we should contract for those services. But our two other employees are the county administrator and county council. And we are um, supposed to do an evaluation of them annually, which sometimes gets tripped up. And part of the reason it's got tripped up is um, we kind of have 
human resources helped us with that process, and we've had some some um, turnover in our human resources director over time that delayed one of our employees to almost two years between uh, evaluations for the county council. And then there's also the issue of when's the timing for that happen relative to when their contract renews so that we can do those performance evaluations far enough in advance of the contract renewal that if we choose not to renew the contract, we can do that because we get, we're allowed to, to give a 60 day notice that we're not going to renew their contracts the way it's set up right now. Unfortunately, their anniversary dates aren't lined up very well with when we have a lull in board activity to do these evaluations and also with the county administrator one of the main things we judge his performance on is the annual budget every year yet his we hired him before the budget comes out <laughs> so his anniversary dates actually um either january or february i can't remember early in the year and uh, then we go through budget and finish that in june and uh we really have a lull in board activity and 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 HR activity that happens after the beginning of the fiscal year in July where we could do these reviews. So one of the things is getting their contracts reset to be maybe uh, renew in November. So we have that, that ability, but we talked about, you know, how we want to do these um, evaluations and what they'd be based on. And one of the things that's important for me as an employer and, and when I've and, and, and when I was an employee also, is one of the most important things in the annual evaluation, I think, is goal setting. And, you know, not just did you achieve your goals from the year last year, but what are your goals going to be for the next year? And coming to an agreement in that process on the goals for the next year. Because that's about how you get what you want out of your employees. If you don't set goals for them, they're not going to do the work you want them to do. And, and it was a piece that was actually missing from our performance evaluation system as it existed. And I um, spoke up uh, uh, and yesterday and I made sure that got wrapped into our system in a, in a much more de you know, deliberate way that we will negotiate with our employees what their goals for the next year will be and come to an agreement in that evaluation process. It won't just be looking back over the year over the employees self make, you know, set goals and, and saying, Oh, you know, good job, pat on the head. And uh, here's your, your, your raise. If you're eligible for one, if you're not already on the top step and uh, we'll see you in a year. Now I want this to be a much more interactive process. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when I've been an employee and it's been an interactive process, it helps me grow. It also helps me do what my supervisor at the time wanted me to do. You know, whether it was the owner of a business when I was the engineering manager of that business um, and the principal and, you know, making sure the business was headed in the right direction, setting my goals that way, or whether it was um, my manager when I was a senior project manager at eWeb and making sure we we're headed in, the, you know, both rowing in the same direction. You know, part of that is as an employee, you know, I want goals that, you know, make sense to me and, and there's things that I want to do too. So I, you know, it's that going back to that control of your job, you know, so it, it does need to be um, 
a negotiated conversation around goal setting and that just hasn't really been well established um, and something I wanted to insist that ha that that have that happen so that was good conversation so all sorts of crazy things going on before the board yeah and I probably skipped over some stuff that we covered little things like you know finding a new place for our developmental disabilities folks um, here at Lane County um, oh and I didn't even talk about us having to cut part of our public safety budget because the state um, funding for the Justice Reinvestment Act um, money you know kind of fell short and the process they used to as part of the funding they they ended up doing an across-the-board cut, which rewarded the folks that over-asked for money and didn't necessarily reward the folks that actually performed. <laughs> so rewarding um, uh, gluttony over performance. Um, and, and, you know, it just, it was really bad, but it caused us to have to amend our Public Safety Coordinating Council budget and, um, uh, possibly in the second year of the biennium have to make some cuts in our parole and probation office due to that. Um, but yeah, just one of the little things we had to approve at the board meeting uh, on Tuesday that we haven't talked about yet. Well, we got about two minutes left in the last Bo's Nose show of 2019. <laughs> so time for another a phone call if you want to try and get in, 646-721-9887, just to get in on the program. And uh, we'll talk about anything you want to talk about, whether it's climate action plans, um, your opportunity to provide input on, on the uh, uh, funding for our parks or the Justice Center and the future of our courthouse, um, or whether you want to talk a little bit about the fairgrounds and Conestoga huts on the fairgrounds, just give me a call here, 646-721-9887, and just press one if you want to get on the conversation. And I'm going to return to a topic in our last couple minutes, and, and I didn't warn uh, Robin, but I'm going to give out my what were they thinking for a second time to the dullards on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., who don't seem to be able to get their act together to fix a mistake in the 2017 tax bill that is going to create a situation where our ratepayers for electric co-ops here in Oregon, and that in particular Lane Electric Co-op and Douglas Electric Co-op, are going to have to increase their rates to pay for the taxes on FEMA money that's coming to them for disaster relief on Snowmageddon this last year. And there's a bill that would fix this called the Rural Act that we just need to get either attached to the next continuing resolution so it passes, put the language in the continuing resolution, do something. You know, what are you thinking, you know, Congress critters, in that you know, this entity that is non-taxable, an electric co-op, and they're non-taxable because they get more than 85% of their income from their co-op members. You know, that's the definition of a cooperative is, you know, that's why it's not a taxable entity. And 
this big slug of FEMA money, the 2017 tax bill and disaster relief is made taxable and de declared as income, bust their 85% um, down to less than 85%, takes them out of the non-taxable entity and makes them a taxable entity. And suddenly um, they've got to raise rates to pay taxes. You know, and, and these are Lane Electric Co-op and Douglas Electric Co-op are struggling entities. The reason they're electric co-ops and were part of that whole Rural Electrification Act of the 30s was it was difficult to bring electricity out in the rural areas because you had to string miles of line for very few meters and ratepayers. So you've got a lot of infrastructure to maintain for not very many ratepayers, i.e. revenue. So you have a huge infrastructure capital investment for a low density of meters. And uh, so these, these are not, you know, really healthy entities in the first place and have been struggling to keep their infrastructure modernized and running as it is. And then you're going to make those ratepayers bear the cost of disaster relief taxes. What are you thinking, Congress? Fix it. Find a way to fix it. Yes, I know, Senator Wyden, that you don't sponsor bills that are coming before the Finance Committee because you're the ranking member on the Finance Committee. That doesn't mean you, you can't say that you would support the idea. You don't put your sponsorship name on it. You could also maybe talk to your junior senator from the state, i.e. Mr. Merkley, and ask him to sponsor the dang bill and get it through there, because you can't. And I don't know where Representative DeFazio is in all this, but you know, I haven't heard a peep out of any of the three of them, really, other than Senator Wyden to say he can't sponsor it, and more recently say that he doesn't really like the wording on the fix. Well, fix the wording. Just get it fixed. Well, with that rant, I think I'm going to wrap up the Bose Nose Show for 2019. I want to thank everybody for listening that has listened over the last year. And uh, I'm going to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll be back in 2020 with the next edition of the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.